John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave While weep the sons of bondage whom he ventured all to save But though he sleeps his life was lost while struggling for the slave His soul is marching on Glory, glory, hallelujah Glory, glory, Welcome to War of the Rebellion Stories of the Civil War, I am your host, Leon, and this is a reading of the regimental history under the Maltese Cross, and Tetum to Appomattox, the Loyal Uprising in Western Pennsylvania. 1861-1865 Campaigns, 155th Pennsylvania Regiment, narrated by the rank and file. And we're picking up at Organization of Company B by Corporal H.F. Weaver. The writer, having by the fortunes of war become disabled by wounds received in battle on Little Round Top, Gettysburg, July 2nd, 1863, can only partially comply with the request to furnish a sketch of Company B. All subsequent campaigns must be described by those who participated after the writer's compulsory withdrawal from the service. Captain Benjamin B. Kerr of Pittsburgh who had acquired the prestige of a year's active service in the field as a member of Company A, 9th Pennsylvania Reserves, organized Company B of the 155th Regiment Pennsylvania Volunteers. The roster of commissioned and non-commissioned officers mustered into the United States Service at Pittsburgh at Camp Howe in August 1862 was as follows. Benjamin B. Kerr, Captain. George W. Lohr, First Lieutenant. Benjamin F. Jennings, 2nd Lieutenant. Henry W. Grubbs, 1st Sergeant. John McMillan, 2nd Sergeant. Daniel W. McConnell, 3rd Sergeant. James J. Stewart, 4th Sergeant. James A. McMillan, Corporal. Milton L. Myers, Corporal. James D. Wilson, Corporal. John Miller, Corporal. John Saber, Corporal. William Story, Corporal, Adam Black, Corporal, David M. Smith, Corporal. First Lieutenant Lore resigned before the Battle of Fredericksburg to enter the United States Navy. Captain Kerr commanded the company at the Battle of Fredericksburg, Virginia, December 13, 1862, soon after resigning because of ill health. Lieutenant Benjamin F. Jennings, after honorable service at Antietam and Fredericksburg's battles, and Fredericksburg battles, resigned. Sergeant Henry W. Grubbs and Sergeant John McMillan were commissioned first lieutenant and second lieutenant to fill these vacancies. No one hundred more cheerful, active, mischievous, and diversified characters than form the rank and file of this company could be found in any army. Nearly all nationalities were represented, old age and extreme youth, a few fanatical prohibitionists, and a number of strong anti-temperance advocates characterized the company membership. In civil life, the recruits had varied occupations, and a number seemed to have had none. Coal miners and iron and steel workers from the vicinity of Pittsburgh, however, formed the great majority of the recruits. Captain Kerr, 
and the other officers in command undoubtedly had their lives shortened with the troubles and difficulties occasioned in breaking in the wild mustangs and skittish colts of the company, and making them understand the necessity of military discipline and unquestioning obedience to orders. All, however, being permeated with a patriotic spirit, the urgent exigencies of the service aided materially in demonstrating the necessity of discipline, and the raw recruits soon became excellent soldiers, proving it on their first campaign in forced marches through Maryland and at Antietam, as also in the famous charge on Mary's Heights at Fredericksburg, December 13, 1862. Keeping no diary, the writer now only recalls in a most general manner the names and persons of many dear comrades with whom he enlisted and touched elbows in battle from Antietam to Gettysburg. Whilst often boisterous, unruly, and difficult to control in the early days of their service, no kinder, better-hearted, or devoted friends to each other could be found than those in the ranks of Company B. The peculiarity of the nicknames by which many came to be known is recalled as most amusing. There was Spitty Grounds, Greaser Woods, Spoony Drake, Dad Craig, Nervy Fitzgerald, Pat Lyon, Waddy McGabe, and Limpy Stack, who answered these strange cognomens in camp as if they had been bestowed upon them at baptism. The most of these brave soldiers have long since passed to the great beyond, but as a survivor, the writer cherishes only the most affectionate remembrances. It is due Captain Henry W. Grubbs, who rose brave, who rose from first sergeant to captain, and served bravely from Antietam to the wilderness. First Lieutenant John McMillan, who participated in every battle of the regiment, having command of the company on the last campaign and at Appomattox. And Second Lieutenant Daniel W. McConnell, his brave and efficient assistant in all of the same battles. To say that their promotion was well earned, these officers returned home in command of the company. Sergeant James A. McMillan and Corporal Richard B. Davis are recalled by the writer as faithful, brave soldiers, ever ready for duty and obedient to orders. In another part of this history, the writer contributes his recollections of Fredericksburg and Gettysburg, having told the story here of the original organization of Company B. The writer will conclude this sketch. Last Two Years in Company B By Orderly Sergeant James A. McMillan Corporal H. F. Weaver's Contribution describing the organization and roster of officers in the campaign to Gettysburg, where the gallant corporal's military career was cut short by a Confederate bullet, disabling him for life, will shorten the writer's story, confining it to incidents in the last two years' campaigning. It is no easy task, after the lapse of 43 years, to tap one's memory, to recall the scenes and stirring events and interesting incidents of war days. The writer has, however... Distinct recollections of several incidents and episodes of service in Company B, which may be of interest not only to the survivors and their friends, but to the general reader. The company was composed of men and boys gathered from many walks of life. Farmers, tradesmen, coal miners, millmen, laborers, and one solitary preacher, constituting the role of the company. No reflection is meant on the morality of the company, when the opinion is expressed that there might have been 
more of the latter's holy calling to the profit of the remainder of the company. One thing is certain, and that is the Peep-O-Day boys and the Mudlarks of Sawmill Run, so well represented in the ranks of the company, could be relied upon in becoming busy when there is anything doing. From a raid on the sutler store to a battle with the Johnnies. On either occasion, they did their duty and reaped the rewards in their share of the spoils and in the honors of war. The fortunes of war deprived this company within seven months from the first time of leaving home of its original commissioned officers, captain, first and second lieutenant, all having resigned and returned to their peaceful homes. A Fatal Presentiment All the battlefields of the Army of the Potomac, as well as the national cemeteries at Antietam, Fredericksburg, and Gettysburg, attest by their graves the heroism of members of Company B, from Antietam to Appomattox. The incidents I shall describe may have been overlooked in the itinerary of this history, and will not, therefore, encroach on the general narrative. At the battle variously called Laurel Hill in Alsop's Farm, on May 8, 1864, on the all-night march from the wilderness preceding the morning of this battle, First Sergeant Thomas Ennis Wood, one of the bravest and most energetic men in the company, who had been promoted from the ranks, experienced a strange and pathetic presentiment as to his fate in the Battle of the Morrow. Its persistent and domination so overcame him that he approached Captain H.W. Grubbs, commanding the company, with the most unexpected and surprising request to be excused from service in the approaching engagement. The captain inquired if he were sick or disabled in any way, and on the sergeant's answering in the negative, regretfully refused his request. At a halt on the road on the line of march, Sergeant Woods was seen to leave the ranks and seat himself at the foot of a large tree, where he took from his pocket a diary and made entries therein. Of this action, although observed by the writer and others of the company, Sergeant Woods offered no explanation, and as the column renewed its march, no significance was attached to the action. An hour later, the engagement opened and soon became a desperate conflict. The 155th Regiment, with the 5th Corps being in the advance, was soon ordered forward to assault the enemy's column. In doing so, the regiment lost from the severe fire of the enemy a number of its best soldiers. Among the latter, falling early in the action, was Sergeant Thomas Innes Woods, having been at first reported among the missing. The writer and other volunteers of the company instituted a search in the woods at the scene of the assault by the regiment, and found among the large number of slain the dead body of their dearly beloved comrade. The detail in removing his remains took from his pocket his diary and watch which were given into possession of the writer. An examination of the diary, made as the company buried his body in a battlefield grave, exhibited the last entry made by Sergeant Woods a short half-hour before the battle in which he lost his life. This entry was addressed to the writer and expressed the belief that the sergeant was certain he would fall in the impending battle, in which event he asked the writer to bury his body and to mark his grave so that his friends could recover his remains after the war. The diary entry further requested the writer to read the 90th Psalm at his burial and also gave instructions as to the disposition 
to be made of his watch and personal effects. Thus, the mortal career of one of the best, bravest, and most exemplary Christian soldiers was ended. Another incident of a different character is recalled and may be worth repeating here. On the last days of May 1864, the regiment, on crossing and fording the North Anna River and securing position on the south side, had a very active and busy time in getting into line before being discovered by the Confederates of Breckinridge's Corps, who were waiting for them at another ford. General Warren, being well aware of that fact through his scouts, directed the march of his columns to an unguarded passage some miles higher up the stream at Jericho Ford, and crossed the entire corps of infantry to the south side of the North Anna before being discovered. While in line, awaiting the expected attack of the enemy, having arms stacked and cooking the frugal meal allowed on the march, one of the boys of Company B, who might have been Pat Lyon, was seen slowly marching to join his company in its position awaiting the attack. This comrade, named, had been wounded in the knee in the fight at Laurel Hill a few days before, and although unable to march with the company, he followed the army as best he could, and he came to the company line before the opening of the battle. He was limping, but he was also lugging a pillow slip, half full of cornmeal, and also a genuine hickory-smoked Virginia ham. Some kindly disposed native Virginian must have given these timely articles to Comrade Pat, for he would not steal. Pat, on joining the company, threw down the sack of cornmeal and the ham, and said to the company, quote, There, yous hungry fellers can have something for supper. Unquote. Elaborate preparations were at once started for a royal meal of corn cakes and ham. The Confederates, however, must have smelled the odor of the frying ham, for they soon concentrated in our front, and then and there attempted to capture the meal in preparation. They made desperate efforts to drive the regiment back over the river, continuing the attack at intervals all night. The Confederates did not succeed in forcing General Ayer's brigade, in which the 155th was serving, back to the North Anna, but they certainly did spoil that supper. All survivors of Company B to this day deeply regret that generous Pat Lyon's effort to supply his company with a good supper on the battle line ended so disastrously. The memorable charge of the 18th of June, 1864, in front of Petersburg, is detailed so fully in the itinerary, both as to losses and strategic advances, as to require but little mention here. In this assault, some comrades of Company B, the writer remembers, started for the right, opposite the center of the breastworks, and they ran into a wire fence which was stretched along the Baxter Road. Private R.B. Davis, the writer remembers, among others, in striking the wire fence, turned a somersault headfirst into the road. Sergeant Walter McCabe, being his running mate on the occasion, the wire was concealed by the bushes and caused the tumble on the part of Davis. The infilating fire of the infantry and artillery on this occasion was more severe than the direct fire. From the close range of the enemy's fort, in which Company B lost eight men out of thirty engaged, Corporal Robert Story received three bullet wounds, as did also Alexander Crowley, from which both died. Two comrades lost legs, one lost an arm, and only one of the wounded was able to return for duty again. In December 1864, 
the 5th Corps, to which the 155th was attached, was ordered on a reconnaissance south to destroy the Weldon Railroad that was one of the greatest importance to the Confederates as a line of supplies. After quite a lengthy march, the Union column reached the road. They went to work with a will, destroying the road, burning the ties, and twisting the rails. This work occupied nearly two days. The weather was extremely cold and disagreeable. On the afternoon of the second day, the troops halted, and having no shelter or blankets, considerable suffering from exposure ensued. Spoony Drake, one of their water squad, who had gone after water to make coffee, soon returned to camp drunk, and being asked if he had gotten any water, replied that he had not, but that he had attained some of the best stuff he ever tasted. On investigation, it was found that his canteens and coffee pot were filled with applejack, and he had also a comb of honey in his haversack. After sampling the stuff, and discovering it's pleasant to the taste, the writer gave Dick Davis a pull of it. Dick, at the time, was trying to dissect or masticate a portion of old cow that had been picked up and slaughtered by the butchers and issued to the regiment. In a very few minutes after taking his pull at the canteen, Dick could not connect his knife with the beef. On being informed that he was drunk, he frankly admitted the self-evident fact. On attempting to turn to give the writer his knife, Comrade Davis, sad to state, fell into the embrace of Mother Earth, and soon subsided into one of the quietest soldiers in the camp. There were others. These, after partaking of the Applejack, tried to dissect the cow, but were soon prostrated, and the writer declares his belief now that the quarter of the cow in question never was carved. In looking back, the writer is fully convinced that the entire command was Applejacked, or in other words, were drunk. All, however, could duly declare their ignorance of the qualities of the Applejack, or that they knew that the beverage was loaded. The return march of this reconnaissance to the Weldon Railroad was marked by unusually severe, bitter cold and sleety weather, causing the clothes of the troops to freeze as they marched. One shivers yet as he recalls that march. The discomfort of that night following will not be forgotten while any of the participants live. A little incident, also worth noticing, occurred on the march back from this raid on the Weldon Railroad to our camp in front of Petersburg. On passing a large plantation, some of the boys found a hogshead of molasses, turned it on end, knocked the head out and helped themselves. The molasses began to get low, and in order to get to it, it was necessary to balance on top of the hogshead to reach the sweet contents. One poor fellow overbalanced and went headfirst into the molasses. When he was pulled out, he was surely one of the queerest-looking pickles one ever saw, and was nearly smothered. Oh, but was he sweet. Not to protract this sketch, the writer cannot close without expressing, even at this late day, the friendship and obligations for the many favors and kindness and the daily life of a soldier received by him at the hands of this gallant company. The writer would like to name every one of the heroic dead and the patriotic survivors who so faithfully served their country, but to do so in this sketch would be impossible. Where all did so well, it seems unjust to single out particular persons, but the writer could not forbear the tribute due Sergeant Thomas Innes Woods for his good advice 
and excellent example during his service, nor can he overlook Comrade Dad Craig, still living. Can you forget Comrade Dad, the night you stood the writer's watch at Laurel Hill, when tired nature exhausted the writer's power of endurance so that he could no longer stand? Dear Comrade Dick Davis, still my neighbor, ever ready as a soldier for duty, unselfish as a messmate, with a never-empty haversack, and always ready to divide its contents, how can memory of you ever fade? To brave Sergeant Walter McCabe, ever fearless into recklessness at the front, honest, true, and faithful as a friend, a similar tribute is due to you. Bob Stoddard Always as ready to fight the enemy as he was in camp to forage for subsistence, he gave up his life on the 18th of June, 1864. Little, but gallant Sergeant Johnny Hayes, faithful William Woods, reliable William C. McMillan, gentle and jolly Mike Nilsson, the brave and dutiful Charlie Ott, who lost his leg on the fateful 18th of June. David M. Smith, killed at Gettysburg, sturdy and brave Lieutenant Dan W. McConnell, and gallant Corporal Harry F. Weaver, who lost his foot on Little Round Top, July 2nd, 1863, and the dutiful Corporal Milton L. Myers. All are among the friends and patriots of Company B, impressed on the writer's memory. Many have gone where war is unknown, and all deserve tributes as earning for Company B its honored record. Handsome Sergeant Harry R. Campbell, whose sad fate it was to be wounded and captured in the opening battle of the wilderness, and to be carried off to languish in the Confederate prisons, brings a tear to the eyes of the writer. His death at Annapolis, aboard the exchange steamer on the memorable 9th of April, 1865, his patriotic spirit passing away as his comrades of Company B at Appomattox were receiving the surrender of the Confederate army, are but one among the thousand other-like occurrences of that terrible war. At the recent unveiling of Humphrey's Monument at Fredericksburg on November 11, 1908, and at the reunion of the regiment on the same occasion, but twelve survivors of Company B answered roll call on the old battlefield on Mary's Heights. Thus evidencing the ravages of time and the work of the grim messenger and the ranks of this famous company on whose rolls the names of 150 men were carried. The fact that this company furnished music as well as fighters should not be overlooked, as but few performers on the ear-piercing fife in the army could surpass the masterly notes in playing of Sam Heflick and his younger brother, John Heflick, who joined his brother in the company in the second year of the war, both proudly serving until the triumphal day at Appomattox and in the parade through the streets of Pittsburgh on the occasion of the reception accorded the survivors of the regiment at the close of the war. To Company B must also be credited the honor of Corporal Bob Culp, the accomplished regimental violinist and no less skilled blacksmith. This company had also the honor of furnishing an able member of the regimental drum corps and the person of Private William Grounds. Record, Enrollment, Casualties, etc., Company B. Killed and Died of Wounds Sergeant Thomas I. Woods, 
killed at Laurel Hill, Virginia, May 8, 1864. Corporal Robert Story died July 14th of wounds received at Petersburg, Virginia, June 18, 1864. Corporal Adam Black died July 9, 1863 of wounds received at Fredericksburg, Virginia, May 13, 1862. Corporal David M. Smith killed at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, July 2, 1863. Private Alexander Crowley died July 6, 1864 of wounds received at Petersburg, Virginia, June 18, 1864. Private William Douglas killed at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, July 2, 1863. Private Henry Kaner killed at Fredericksburg, Virginia, December 13, 1862. Private Abraham Miller killed at Peebles Farm, Virginia, September 30, 1864. Private Michael Seifert killed at Spotsylvania, Virginia, May 11, 1864. Private William C. Todd killed at Quaker Road, Virginia, March 29, 1865. Missing in Action Private Harrison Daverbiss, Wilderness, Virginia, May 5, 1864. Died in prison or result of imprisonment. Sergeant Harry R. Campbell at Annapolis, Maryland, April 9, 1865. Private William A. Moore at Richmond, Virginia, September 16, 1864. Died of disease. Private John L. Byers at Bolivar Heights, Virginia, December 1862. Private William Cronmeyer at Camp Humphreys, Virginia, March 17, 1863. Private Samuel Edmonds at Stoneman Switch, Virginia, December 12, 1862. Private William Clendon at City Point, Virginia, December 28, 1864. Private David Hopkins at Annapolis, Maryland, March 17, 1865. Private Archibald McMillan at Sharpsburg, Maryland, November 7, 1862. Private Alexander Porter at Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, March 12, 1863. Private John Ramsey at Appomattox Courthouse, Virginia, April 12, 1865. Private William Smith, May 3, 1863. Private Carl Truxell at Washington, D.C., July 13, 1864. Private Michael Weaver at Washington, D.C., May 6, 1865. Wounded in Action Sergeant John Hayes, Petersburg, Virginia, June 18, 1864 Sergeant James P. Stewart, Fredericksburg, Virginia, December 13, 1862 Sergeant Francis Hay Arvey, Petersburg, Virginia, June 18, 1864, loss of arm Corporal Harry F. Weaver, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, July 2, 1863, loss of foot Corporal John Saber Boydtown Road, Virginia, March 31, 1865. Private Robert R. Culp, Hatcher's Run, Virginia, October 27, 1864. Private Fernand Deitch, Laurel Hill, Virginia, May 8, 1864. Private John Eastwood, Fredericksburg, Virginia, December 13, 1862. Private John Gable, Petersburg, Virginia, June 18, 1864, loss of leg. Private Patrick Lyons, Laurel Hill, Virginia, May 8, 1864. Private John McKinley, 
Fredericksburg, Virginia, December 13, 1862. Private Hugh McFarland, Hatcher's Run, Virginia, October 27, 1864. Private Charles McMahone, Petersburg, Virginia, July 18, 1864. Private Charles W. Ott, Petersburg, Virginia, July 18, 1864. Loss of leg. Private Patrick Stack, Wilderness, Virginia, May 5, 1864. Private Samuel Upcraft, Fredericksburg, Virginia, May 13, 1862. Recapitulation. Total enrollment, 157. Killed and died of wounds, 12. Died of disease and in prison, 12. Deserted, 6. Discharged on account of wounds and disabilities, 46. Transferred to the Veteran Reserve Corps, 8. Transferred to other organizations, 31. Never joined company, 6. Officers resigned, 3. Discharged at expiration of term, 2. Transferred men discharged by general orders, 4. Dishonorably discharged, 1. Wounded in action, 16. Mustered out with regiment, 26. And that is the end of Company B's Light History. We are moving on next week, on Tuesday or Wednesday of next week, and then I'll read Company C section and start cranking these out twice a week, because I don't have to do any additional work for these. Nothing to look up or research, right? We're just reading off, going through it. So there's some pictures from the regimental history, of some of the boys mentioned, and men, because they're quite, some of them, <laughs> some of their pictures are a lot older, but I'll go ahead and post those on the website, and that's pretty much it. I will probably see you guys next Tuesday or Wednesday, all right? I get to move back. I get to move back to the place I was just living at now. So hopefully this moving around and having my life disrupted kind of stuff is finally coming to an end. Finally. And I will be able to go back to just doing my normal uploads on YouTube and everything else, because it all got messed up. All right, my friends. With that, have a great weekend. I'm going to try and get this out. I'm recording this on Wednesday. I'm probably going to just post Friday morning for y'all, because my weekend's going to be so busy, I'm not going to have any time to do any additional podcasting work. So, all right. Have a great one, folks. Bye-bye. John Brown's body lies a-moldering in the grave While weep the sons of bondage whom he ventured all to save But though he sleeps, his life was lost while struggling for the slave His soul is marching on Glory, glory, hallelujah Glory, glory, hallelujah Hallelujah, or his soul is marching on. John Brown was a hero, undaunted, true, and brave. And Kansas knew his valor when he fought her rights to save. And now, though the grass grows green above his grave, his soul is marching on.
poorest soul is marching on He captured Harper's Ferry with us 19 men so few And frightened old Virginie till she trembled through and through They hung him for a traitor, themselves a traitorous crew But a soul is marching on Glory, glory, hallelujah Glory, glory, hallelujah Glory, glory, hallelujah For a soul is marching on John Brown was John the Baptist Of the Christ we are to see Christ who of the bondmen Shall the liberator be And soon throughout the sunny south The slaves shall all be free For a soul is marching on Glory, glory, hallelujah Glory, glory, hallelujah soul is marching on The conflict that he heralded He looked from heaven to view On the army of the Union With its flag red, white, and blue And heaven shall sing with anthems Or the deed they mean to do For a soul is marching on Glory, glory, hallelujah Glory, glory, hallelujah Glory, glory, hallelujah For a soul is marching on Soldiers of freedom, then strike while strike ye may The death blow of oppression in a better time and way The dawn of old John Brown has brightened in the day And his soul is marching on Glory, glory, hallelujah So oh.